0: Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have another amazing clinician. We have Shawnessa Devonish. Uh, She is a National Board Certified Counselor and a Licensed Clinical Professional Counselor located in Maryland. She primarily helps millennial clients heal and grow from past abandonment traumas that developed due to the lack of involvement and or alienation from a family member during childhood. She assists clients with coping with issues in relation to emotional neglect, psychological abuse, depression, anxiety, and generational trauma. She prides herself in helping clients heal from emotional scars while discovering their strengths and self-worth. Shonessa received her Bachelor of Science in Law and Society and Sociology from the Frostburg State University, where she graduated cum laude. During her time there, she was also inducted into Alpha Kappa Delta Sociology Honors Society and received the Dr. Leroy Kaula Outstanding Senior Sociology Award. She completed her Master of Arts in Mental Health Counseling from the Maasai University. During her time there, she was inducted into Chi Sigma Iota Professional Academic Honor Society for Counseling Professionals. She has a five-year background in the behavioral health field which includes counseling, case management, uh, psychiatric rehabilitation services to marginalized populations located in Maryland and the District of Columbia. It is certainly a pleasure to have her chat with us today. Welcome to the podcast, Shawnessa. Thank you so much. So, shonessa share with us how do you identify in the world how How do you show up? How do people see you? How do you hope that your clients see you?
1: (laughs) Great question. So I identify as she, her, hers. I am African-American, also identify as Afro-Caribbean because my father's side of the family is actually from Georgetown, Guyana, and my mother's grandfather is from Trinidad. So I take pride in my Caribbean roots. I love The food, the vibe, the culture, specifically my soca music. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big thing for me. Gets me going every morning. Lovely. Um, I I also identify as heterosexual. I am happily married to my husband, Jordan. And we actually recently received, well, got a fur baby last month. So I'm adjusting Mm -hmm. to dog momhood.
0: Congratulations! Thank you so yeah, much. Lovely. Yeah, and I wonder how do you marry, you know, both cultures. You know, I, I wonder how does that, you know, we're probably gonna get to it later. But I wonder how does that show up in in the work that you do and and everything else. Like I'm thinking about what your self care looks like and what you know as you talk about your soca music in the morning. I'm like, how do you marry that? because I only have one side of it really, but um, I guess I've adjusted to life over here. But for you, I wonder how you were groomed or conditioned to marry both of the cultures together as a child.
1: Oh my gosh. So it's in the area that I'm in, I'm in a DMV. So it's so many different Caribbean cultures around. So we have Guyanese, we have Trinidad, we have Jamaican, Bayesian. It's such a melting pot, not as heavy as in New York, but the Guyanese culture is super heavy in this area. So I never felt disconnected from it, which was a good thing. Um, But as far as immersing myself in American culture, um, it—I honestly, I didn't have a difficult time per se. I honestly stuck to what I love. So I never, if I I play a soca song in high school, my friends or my peers were super, super great with saying, oh, what's that? Versus trying to make fun of me or this is weird or whatnot. So I never felt alienated or disconnected or bullied for my Guyanese roots and my Trinidadian roots, which was good. So I always felt comfortable because the individual was around me. I think it would be a little bit difficult if they were super mean or derided my style, my style of music, the food I eat, my family, that probably would have made things a little bit more difficult. But honestly, growing up, it wasn't, which I'm super blessed for. I'm very, very blessed. It was
0: not a challenge. Lovely. Glad to hear that because I don't think that's everyone's um, experience Um, You know, I've seen a few different ways how, you know, that can go. Mm -hmm. So, you know, tell us a little bit about just this story, um, if you want to get into that a little bit. And and just what led you to where you are now?
1: Of course, of course. So my story. Oh, my gosh. So I guess I'll talk about how I came to the counseling field. Um, I actually wanted to be a lawyer. However, that's not what my heart is, what my heart was, but money speaks at that age. So I was in high school trying to figure out what I would do in life. And my main goal was make a lot of money because I want to be rich and I want to be stable. However, I knew I, ha- I always had an instinct that that's not what I wanted to do. But it took me going into Frostburg, studying law to learn, hey, um this isn't for you because this is super boring and you're not into it. Granted, got a lot of A's. I graduated with honors, but however, my heart wasn't in it. So I think I went through that stage that most individuals, especially when I graduate, go through where it's like, what the heck am I about to do? But I went through that a little bit early on. So I'll say around my junior year, because I'm like, I hate law. What am I about to do? So I took um an introduction to counseling class, because like I said, my my mind told me early on, you, we want to be a therapist to help people. So I took the introduction and counseling class. I loved, loved, loved it. So I was like, okay, I see myself going down this route. However, student loans. When I was an undergrad, I actually didn't, I had a full ride. So I was good to go. But my thing was, okay, so do I really want to take out a $50,000, $60,000 loan to so go back to school? And if, what if this isn't what I want to do? So I had anxiety around that. Um, So I worked for about two years as a psychiatric rehabilitation counselor. Mm. So I worked in the mental health field and I loved it. So that was kind of validation. Okay, you can do this. Invest in yourself, invest in education. So I ended up doing it, taking the leap don't like student loans. I don't think anybody likes them, (laughs) but I'm happy I did it (laughs) because now I'm actually in a field that I love, love so much. But overall, I just followed my heart. Thankfully I did that and then let money control where I was going to go career-wise.
0: That's beautiful. And, um, you know, now you have your own practice.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh, it's a blessing. It was a bit challenging getting everything together, but I'm super blessed Mm where in this stage of my life and where things went have gone for me professionally. Yeah.
0: Congratulations on all of that. So share with us, um, you know, just your area of uh, specialization and what do you typically see at your practice?
1: Sure, sure, sure. So I am actually. My area is abandonment trauma. So I work with clients who've experienced past traumatic experiences in relation to being abandoned by a family member. And in my practice, I engage in a lot of grief work, which is surprising to clients because it's like, uh, I'm I'm not grieving a death. My mom just wasn't around or my mom abandoned me at a young age. And it's like, okay, it's a loss, right? And it's like, Uh ah.
0: So many people connect the grief with a lot of loss, right? So,
1: yeah. Yeah, (laughs) and they're like, oh, you're right. I was like, yeah, it's a loss. It's not popularized like death, but you've experienced a loss. So let's work through this. And I also engage in EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. And that's basically a therapeutic approach that helps clients reprocess traumatic experiences. So it won't be as distressing as it was in the past. And that is done by bilateral stimulation. Traditionally, it was eye movement. However, due to the pandemic, we had to get creative. So it's maybe movement of your hands in a right-left pattern and maybe stomping your feet in a right-left motion. It all depends on the client.
0: I wondered for a minute there how how therapists were doing that uh, virtually. Mm-hmm. So so it sounds like this is the new modification. Yes, yes, wow. it definitely is. And then there are, there's also
1: apps and platforms that you can go on to get that bilateral stimulation as far as the eye movement. So AMDR um, Remote is one. So if a client prefers the eye movement, a clinician can download that particular app and they'll have like a circle on the um, screen and it'll just go right, left, right, left. So, there are very creative ways to get that bilateral stimulation going.
0: And what is happening within them while, while this is, you know, you know, while they're going through that process? Great question. So, a
1: lot of my clients, because when I explain this, like, this isn't going to work. Okay, we'll, we'll try it though. <laughs> but they're noticing, I hear often a lot, I feel light in a good way. Like, it becomes intense sometimes. So, don't get me wrong. Because all that trauma is coming up, so I prompt them to think about that incident or what image comes to mind when you think about that incident. So it does get intense, but it eventually alleviates, which is surprising to a lot of my clients. It's like, whoa, I, I feel light. This is good. This is really good. Like this, I feel tingling sensation. I always ask, like, is, is that a good feeling? Because I'm not too sure how a tingling sensation feels to you. Mm -hmm. But they're always saying things along the lines of, I feel light, I feel better. I'm getting sleep now. I wasn't getting sleep before. This is great because EMDR is a mind-body exercise, therapeutic approach. So I get a lot of great feedback about it. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you so much for that. So let's talk a little bit about um, attachment, um, how that comes up, and some of the abandonment um, wounds uh, that show up in, in your work, if you want to get into that a little bit.
1: Of course, of course. So let's, let's start with attachment. So one of the pioneers for attachment theory is John Bowlesby. And he believed that people had this innate need for companionship, for closeness. And if that need was, wasn't met, negatively impacted how the individual interacted with others, mm. specifically in relationships. Yeah. So overall, attachment styles develop as a result of past experiences. And right now, there are three main attachment styles when we think of relationships. So we have the anxious attachment style, which is a person's fear that their partner mm, isn't really feeling them. Mm-hmm. So because of that, They're preoccupied with their relationship. They let the relationship consume their energy. They don't allow their needs to be met. They make a lot of sacrifices for their partner. And they're super alert for any signs of abandonment because that equates to a threat. And they also engage in what's called protest behaviors. So these are the behaviors that I'm going to do to make sure that my partner does not go anywhere. Like, the he or she is going to stay right here. And that can include calling them excessively, texting them excessively, the tit-for-tat behaviors, mm. acting <laughs> hostile, um, and manipulation. But when it comes to manipulation, a lot of times it doesn't go their way. So that's kind of examples of some protest behaviors. There are multiple.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And then we have the avoidant attachment style. So that is the partner that prides themselves on independence and self sufficiency. So they tend to ignore their partner's needs because they fear betrayal. So they're going to do anything that they can to protect themselves. And that can include becoming emotionally distant. Mm-hmm. And they, they, individuals with avoidant in attachment style tend to engage in deactivating strategies and these include they, these are basically things that they do to push others away again because they're trying to protect themselves they don't want to be hurt nobody wants to be hurt yeah so they engage in these deactivation the sorry deactivating strategies which includes, them kind of focusing on small imperfections. And that can be, oh, I don't like the way you wash these dishes. So it's over. (laughs) Small (laughs) things like that. Right. It's it's super, it's 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 crazy. But because I fear of being betrayed, rejected, I'm just gonna end it right here. Yeah. Um, that can be comparing that you're their partner to other people, blaming them, distancing from them. So those are all strategies that they that individuals with avoidant attachment styles use to distance themselves that way. And then you have secure, secure attachment. Mm-hmm. And these are individuals who have a healthy balance in their relationship. They make sure that their needs are being met as well as their partner needs. They're really in tune with emotional cues from their partner. Mm-hmm. They are great communicators. They're super empathetic. And they don't allow anxiety to control their relationship. They're also reliable and understanding. Yeah. So, those are the three attachment styles um, in regards to relationships.
0: Mm-hmm. Love that. Love that. And as you break them down, and I mean, of course, I've, I've you know, I, I use some of this in my work too. Mm-hmm. Um, I can literally like, walk through different relationships I've been in mm-hmm. <laughs> and how some of that presented. And I, 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 you know, I think it's so incredible that, um, you know, just, just the breakdown. I, I love working through that and seeing how we can actually make progress. Um, cause I think oftentimes people think if I'm, you know, if I'm in the an- anxious attachment category or that's where I fit, that I'm always going to be that. But I think what is healing is knowing that that can be, you can work on it. You can mm-hmm. find ways to feel more secure in your relationships. And maybe you did have an anxious relationship at 18 or 19. I'm so sorry about the noise here. Um, 18 or 19, but as you have matured um, and you've had more healthier relationships, um, and of course doing the work on yourself, certainly, Mm -hmm. Um, brings you to a place where you can have more secure relationships. So, you know, share with me, um, you know, (laughs) I know I just, you know, I haven't shared which one I feel like I I am, but where do you feel like maybe you, you are? And I wonder how did you feel like you, you got there? Oh my gosh. So I think now, which
1: took a lot of work, (laughs) I am in the secure category and I say now, because in the past, I was definitely avoidant. And that was a result of infidelity in family settings, um, seeing infidelity in the media, whether it's on TV or in social on social media. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm, bu- I'm not about to deal with this. Absolutely not. Not me. So because of that, I always had my guard up. And I felt safe that way. However, as we mentioned before, with attachment theory, I I did not receive that closeness to someone, so eventually I knew it was something that I had I had to change. I had to stop being critical when I'm dating. I had to make a change because that was my that was my deactivating strategy: being critical, like, uh, you did this, so we gonna have to end this. <laughs> I don't like the way you dress right now, or you said something that threw me off, so I it, it's 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 a wrap right now. Um, however, like I said, um eventually I traveled down the path to secure. It took a lot of work and years. Um, so going back to what you said about healing from, I mean, transitioning to secure attachment and changing our attachment style, it's possible, but it's gonna take some work. And that's what I had to engage in. And thankfully I had my partner who helped me through the process. So he had always had a secure attachment style. And he was super patient with me, which I till this day appreciated, mm-hmm. and held me accountable, called me out. Like, what are you talking about? Like, wh- wh- what are you doing? Come on now. Like, is, are you serious right now? They had to think. You know, I, I I do sound a little foolish, so I appreciate him would assist me with that. But also doing my own therapy work. So just because we're therapists, don't mean we don't we do, we don't go to therapy. So I did go to therapy, mm-hmm. and. In addition to my partner, my therapist helped me accountable, which I appreciated so much. So as clinicians, we put things into perspective. And that's what I feel like, felt like I needed, because I was always looking through the lens of Shawnessa. I never took myself out of it and really took a look at myself like that girl, Seanessa. So, I really appreciated both my husband as well as my therapist for like put me out there because I'm the type of person who I need some health healthy confrontation, (laughs) and it actually worked. So, that Mm -hmm. that's kind of my journey with my attachment styles. But as Mm -hmm. you mentioned, it's possible to change. You just you just got to be able to do the work. And I oftentimes tell my clients there are four ingredients. healing when it comes to abandonment trauma and that is acknowledging acceptance accountability and Mm self-discipline
0: yeah yeah those yeah those are good uh as you as you talk about it i was just thinking for me my journey um included I feel like I needed the foundation of security and, um, stability. I feel like once I had that, it was very easy to work through some of those issues. Cause I do think there were moments earlier on where I was probably, um, anxious in, in my relationships. And then there were periods where, um, I was avoidant. Um, you know, I sought out what I wanted and I, you know, I was just really about my independence and my self-sufficiency. Um, but it, it didn't take it, I mean, it, it took, you know, being married and doing my own work <laughs> on relationships yeah. and, and on self as well, um, to really feel, um, more secure. And, you know, I feel like it's been a journey here and I'm consistently always checking myself, you know, and like you said, you know, as therapists, we, we go to therapy. So I'm consistently, mm-hmm. um, doing my own work you know because I'm going into different seasons and going to places I've never been so I'm constantly just reevaluating how I'm showing up am I in, still in tune with my partner's um, emotions and, and you know what they're needing at this time um, so those are things I'm just constantly constantly <laughs> you know I see my therapist twice a month and I'm just always checking in you know where where are you you know? Just being outside yeah. of self just for that hour makes such such a big difference. And it's so nice having someone who isn't biased, right? <laughs> um, just check you and um, recognize mm-hmm. you. Exactly. I love that. <laughs> I love that.
1: Yeah. Yes. Listen, yeah. it, it's oh. so helpful to have a therapist. And we're therapists and do it. So, yes.
0: Yeah. So we touch on it a little, um, but I wonder as you work with clients and, and I guess you get to see them move from, you know, insecure attachment to a more secure attachment. Um, what does that look like, right? Because I mean, not all change is welcomed. A lot of it is ingrained, we've been conditioned that way, we've been groomed. Um, sometimes we see our own parents in those anxious, you know, attachment styles and insecure attachment styles. And I wonder, what does that look like when you're working through that with, with a client?
1: Great question. So it it's different for everyone. And that's the mm-hmm. approach that I'm going whenever I have anybody come to my virtual office, come teletherapy right now. But it looks different for everyone. I really assess what the client's needs are before I dive into an approach. So, but I can give you some example of approaches I've took, I've taken with clients in the past. One thing that goes for everyone, like I've mentioned before, feeling it. I pride myself not only with my family, and, but my clients as well to release all those, all those emotions you have pinned up with you. Because ultimately, mm-hmm. silence and suppression holds people hostage. So the need to really allow the client to vent, let it out. It's okay. This is a safe place. So I make sure that I provide that safe place for them to let everything out that they need to release. And also psychoeducation around trauma. So overall, the threat of abandonment can trigger a trauma response for individuals. So educating them about trauma and how that impacts the body and what that can do to them. Also, specifically with individuals with avoiding attachment style, allowing them to become self-aware of what they're doing. Because, again, it's easy for us to be super subjective, but not objective. So making sure that I teach clients how to be more self-aware of their actions and how it's impacting others. You also have me engaging in inner child work. So let's go back to childhood. What do, what what does that child need right now? What did it need? Mm-hmm. And doing a lot of inner child work around um, abandonment, specifically, my population is individuals who were abandoned by family members. So, asking a client, one of the questions I do says, "What did I'm gonna say myself?" But what did Shanessa need at four years old? Yeah. So doing a lot of inner child work, developing boundaries. That's a huge, huge, huge one with individuals with anxious attachment styles. Making sure that they develop boundaries and don't lose their self in these relationships because of their fear of being abandoned by their partners. Also, healthy confrontation. Like I said, with my therapist, I love, love, love how she, how she engaged in it in the past. And I also engage in this with my clients as well because it helps them become more self-aware of their actions. And I stay healthy because I don't really, I don't, I'm not super rude. I'm not rude about it, <laughs> but I'll say, yeah, yeah. you really just broke up with, mm-hmm. I'm like, you really just broke up with him because you didn't like his shoes? Or you didn't, or you really just broke up with him because he was five minutes late for your brunch date? So I'm super, how would I say it? Um, I'm losing my train
0: of thought. I'm sorry. No, you just giving an example. I'm very polite <laughs> with my confrontation. So,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm very polite mm-hmm. with my confrontation when it comes to clients. Um, yeah, but also knowing, to. right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And also knowing that forgiveness is not required. So I hear this often when I have clients come to me. I'm not ready to forgive. That's okay. And they're like, what? But I need a heal. You don't need Mm -hmm. forgiveness to heal. So educating clients so they can know that forgiveness is not required in the work that we're about to do and also bringing up emotional baggage from childhood. Like I said, my niche is clients who've experienced abandonment traumas by their parents. So going back to childhood, discussing what occurred, doing that grief work is super important. So that's kind of the steps that I take with my clients to help them heal. Um, Like I said, it looks way, way, way different for each client. But those Mm -hmm. are just some of the things that I have engaged in.
0: Yeah, I love those. I love those. And especially just the healthy confrontation piece. Um, You know, a lot of us in our lives, we have um, our friends. Of course, our friends love us, our family love us. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll challenge us, but sometimes, you know, they can be enabling. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I love that, um, you know, therapy can be a space where we can have that, right? And we are forced to think a little deeper about our behaviors and um, how we approach, you know, certain things, especially in relationships. And of course, like I always go back to um, a lot of us that have models for some of the things we're trying to do. So it can seem so lonely and so isolating that Wow, I mean, no one in my family has had a healthy relationship. So what am I doing suddenly trying to to have that, right? Or is that yes. too much of a am I too ambitious, right? To even consider mm-hmm. that I can actually have a thriving, healthy relationship. Because a lot of us we didn't see that, you know? And even as exactly. I think of that, I'm I'm also going back to how I think my grandparents, you know, they, they were religious. They really valued marriage. So what I ended up seeing was a lot of marriages that were just so sad. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of marriage that were just so sad because there was, there wasn't a lot of community, healthy communication. Um, I didn't see a lot of abuse, uh, physical abuse, but I, I, from what I know now, it seems like there was some uh, verbal, emotional, all of those things, but. What we saw was people getting married, but there was also that, you know, are they are they happy? You know, right? <laughs> you know, like there was just that piece to it, like yeah, they're getting oh. married, but also, yeah, so that was a little conflicting. And you know, as I as I you know, got into my own marriage, I started looking at some of the models I had and what I want and what I don't want. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so it had me really thinking. And looking at these relationship a little, relationships a little bit more closely than, than I did, right, as a child. Um, so, yeah, I think um, recognizing that a lot of us didn't have these models and that it can also be isolating, um, start doing mm-hmm. things differently.
1: Definitely, definitely. I love, I'm just hearing the strength as you talk about mm-hmm. that, because it takes a lot of strength for you to eliminate generational patterns. You mentioned yeah. I always notice marriages not working. It's it's prioritized. It's the goal that was always embedded in me. But as I'm noticing these marriages aren't too happy, I need to do what I need to do to make sure that I'm good as well as my family. Speaking of children, I need to make sure that I'm good as well as my tr- children. Children are good moving forward. So I need to do what I need to do to eliminate the generational patterns. And I say strength because you're obviously going to get some pushback. You're going to get some negative negativity when it comes to you executing these changes. And it takes a lot of strength and resiliency to deal with the negative pushback from it, negative feedback. Like, so you're going to do this? So you're you're, you're really about to do this? That's crazy. Uh Uh-uh, no. So I just want to give your props, commend you for your strength in that journey.
0: It's been, it's been, it's been a journey and still is, right? Because mm-hmm. as we get yes. we to different phases and stages, mm-hmm. um, things are changing, right? Constantly oh, for us yes. and yes. our relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk definitely. a little bit about how some of that shows up on a grander scale, like in families in our uh, friendships, in our workplaces, so, you know, I know that we, we talk a little bit about how much healing it takes um, to move through um, a more secure attachment style. Um, but I wonder, as we are moving through that, what does that look like in our other relationships, right? Our non-intimate relationships.
1: Oh, my gosh, that's a great question. So I'm going to go off of each attachment style. So let's start with avoidant. The Avoidant. The main things that come up is the blame game, whether it's in relationship or outside of relationships. So, for example, in a friendship, I, I'm always I keep saying brunch because I love a good brunch. So I do apologize for using brunch often, but let's mm-hmm. bring up brunch. You go to brunch, you invited your friend. She's I don't know five minutes late. A person with an avoidant attachment style would be upset. And completely disconnect the friendship solely because I feel like that person is being rude and wasting my time, but never looks at. Maybe you're acting a little bit too irrational. You don't know what occurred. You don't know what happened. So Mm -hmm. with avoidance, that's how that may look like in friendships. Bringing in secure attachment. That individual may be like, okay, what's going on? She's a little bit late, but one, it's only five minutes, so it's cool. But let's say it was thirty minutes. Oh, she may have ki- she has kids, so maybe she was getting the kids ready. Maybe something happened. Let me call her and check in. They don't go immediately to the worst, or go immediately mm. into disconnection mode. Mm. Now, an anxious person, that looks a little bit different. So that looks like them constantly checking in with friends. Oh, do you still love me? Are we still good? Excessively. Or getting upset. I see this all the time. I see this all the time. When a new friend come into the group, Lord, Lord, Lord. Oh, why is she here? Um, She's not your best friend. I'm your best friend. So that's one thing I, I see a lot in my, I always say virtual office. I see that a lot. So that's how it can look from an anxious attachment style standpoint. Mm-hmm. But then you have other areas, like you said, um, Family, work, that's Mm -hmm. a big one, yeah. And microaggressions can trigger someone to engage in their specific attachment style, especially in the workplace. So it it shows up a lot in all areas of life and I'm happy you brought it up because ultimately what's popularized is relationships.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and even in the workplace, I'm thinking, you know, you know those... Workers who just always like not even the idea of above and uh, beyond, but there is just some anxiety attached to. I have to do the most. I have yeah. to be the most. I have.
1: <laughs> uh huh. I have to gain acceptance <laughs> from my work peers. Yeah. I have to do it. So that anxiety. Exa- oh my gosh! Yes, that's <sighs> huge. That yeah, is like evident. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: like. I'm thinking of those people who, you know, they work. And I know some jobs may be called for over 60 or whatever hours people are working these days. But I have seen it where you, you can do your work and then you can go home to your family. You can do your work and have some social life outside of that. But I also see, you know, where some persons are so consumed by it. And yeah, there are lots of different themes coming up in there, right? You know, there's, you know, it could have been, you know, some poverty, trauma or any lots mm-hmm. of things that can be coming exactly. up here. But um there is also that sometimes, you know, this is, this is where I need to get like recognition. I need to know that's where my like value, you know, and yeah, you can have healthy values yes. around work, but sometimes it can, it can be. Self-destructive sometimes, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of self um, especially when you're neglecting all these other parts of you because you need to feel some type of worth there, right? Because you mm-hmm. probably didn't feel that at home or you don't feel that anywhere or in any other relationship. Um, so yeah, I feel like it comes up there. It comes up yes. there.
1: Yes, heavy, heavy. And also that anxiety around just losing your job like you mm-hmm. mentioned there's a lot of trauma from childhood pertaining to finances, so mm-hmm. I need to give my all put my all into this because I don't want to be broke again lack of better words yeah. so I'm mm-hmm. gonna work the eighty do- the the eighty hours versus the 40 because I want to keep my job I want to make sure I'm never in that position again to where I'm trying to figure out where my next meals coming from I'm trying to figure out yeah. where I'm not trying to figure out how I'm gonna pay my electric bill mm-hmm. And a lot of things stem from trauma, but a lot of individuals don't know this. But it, that's which is why I mentioned earlier that psychoeducation piece around trauma is super important.
0: Yeah, love that. So let's you know, I know we talked a little bit about abandonment wounds, you know, and you know, I just wonder what are some different ways you see that you know present itself, like in in some of the different clients you see. Um, you know, just show us, you know, maybe what does that look like in, in different people?
1: That's a great question. So abandonment wounds, abandonment traumas, are overall just past or present experiences that triggers distress and causes people mm-hmm. to be hypersensitive to betrayal and rejection. And I know you mentioned earlier safety and stability. Mm-hmm. So those mm-hmm. are some of the ingredients that relax when a trauma occurred, then mm-hmm. adding on also control. So a lot of behaviors that occur because of abandonment wounds are the client or person's attempt to gain that safety, that stability, and that control. Mm-hmm. And overall, a lot of of the um, sorry, a lot of the attachment styles, the things that I mentioned earlier regarding the traits of the attachment style goes into. How the behaviors occur when it comes to abandonment womb. So, like I mentioned before, distancing yourself from individuals, um, prioritizing yourself when it comes to avoidant. We got being clingy, excessively calling your partner, texting people, um, codependency. Oh my gosh, that's a huge one. Codependency mm. is super, super huge. But overall, that person's need to gain safety, stability, and control because of their past traumatic experience is what drives them to engage in those maladaptive behaviors.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so many themes, right, that we can dive into. But... <laughs> yes. Oh my God, it's
1: so much. I love, love, love yeah. talking about it. Because I'm, 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 like I said, psychoeducation, I'm super big on that because a lot of individuals don't know these things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know we'll get into books. So I think there's so many other things people can do, especially when they have a resistance to therapy, um, to start working on those mm-hmm. things. And I love meeting clients who are already doing some of the psycho-ed work. I'm like, yes, you're doing the yes. work. You're reading, you're reading.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I but get however, so not don't, don't diagnose it. I have clients who come in like, I have this, I have this. I'm like, how do you even know that? Well, I read this, 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 this. Like, <laughs> okay, well, let's take a step back from that real quick. <laughs> and yeah. so it, it can be a beautiful thing as well as yeah. somewhat of an obsession. Oh, sorry obsession yes. for some time.
0: I know I know right like you know the self-diagnosing um but I just feel like it makes me feel like this person is already invested in, in, in and yeah. in working and you know getting to where they want to be yes, so we have a talked a little thing. bit about yes yes sure is so we have talked a little bit about how business can take steps um, you know, to heal and build healthy relationships. Any other uh any other tips here on, on just building healthy relationships?
1: Um, I think one main one when we talk about relationship, especially if you're dating, is sit with the discomfort of a person that does not seem to mesh with you. Cause mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, they're probably, they probably have a secure attachment style. However, you're so used to individuals with avoidant or anxious attachment styles that this person that's coming to you right now, that's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable, you're going to disconnect from them because that's not what you're used to. Nobody wants to go into situations that they're uncomfortable with or that they're not used to. But sit with the discomfort of it. Sit with, sit with it because ultimately that may be your future husband that may be your future wife however you're mm-hmm. so used to a certain type of individual that you're not willing to give another person a chance and you may be in a way ruining your blessings
0: mm-hmm.
1: so when it comes to dating sit with this comfort of meeting people outside of your comfort zone yeah however, yeah. don't sacrifice your needs
0: <laughs> right. Right. You know, and I think in all these things, you kind of have to (laughs) really break, you know, break them down, you know, a little. And even as you talk, as we talk about healthy relationship, you know, one thing I see for us, especially, um, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone in the Caribbean, but even healthy communication, I I don't know if I ever saw um, that modeled very well. Um, I remember hearing a lot of things like, um, like you said, you know, forgiveness, you know, someone did you wrong, forgive, forgive and forget. Mm-hmm. Um, I always heard, you know, ignore someone could say anything to you and you just have to ignore it. Um, so I don't know if I really saw, um, a lot of communication like around difficult things. Um, of course we got, mm-hmm. we got beats, we got spankings. <laughs> I, I got a lot of those, right? I can speak to them myself, um, so mm-hmm. I didn't see a lot of, you know, like, like disciplining from a healthy communication perspective. Um, there was a lot of fear. There was a lot of um, anxiety, right? If if your parent mm-hmm. or your caretaker didn't say any words to you today, um, there's a chance that you know those spanking might come later. <laughs> Yes, yes. (laughs) There were just a lot of things that I feel like made us anxious, you know, Um, whether or not we felt like we were in the wrong or the right. We're were just always anxious, I feel like. And as a result, even going into relationships, as as you have described so far, um, a lot of that followed us. You know, if someone is suddenly silent, um, we were thinking that the worst is about to happen or... Mm-hmm. You know, there's just so many things that, you know, we can get into. Um, but I feel like that wasn't really modeled. And even as adults, we have to be so intentional about communication, communication skills. Yes, yeah,
1: because it sounds like, and I can also preach as well. And growing up, passive communication was the thing. You cannot disrespect no your elders. You got to listen your opinion pretty much don't matter because Mm -hmm. I'm the authority figure. You're going to listen to me. So that kind of put in our minds, like we got to be passive when it comes to communicating. We can't speak our minds. Mm -hmm. But growing up and learning that not necessarily aggressive communication styles, but assertiveness Assertiveness. communication is okay. It's not disrespectful. Being assertive is a form of protecting yourself. But it takes time, especially when you're used to being so passive to learn those
0: assertiveness skills. Yeah,
1: They made a really good point.
0: Yeah. And I'm always, that's one of the things that I work on with my, you know, my clients. And I see it a lot in women, um, that Mm -hmm. assertiveness is just not there because we're taught to be so, um, we're groomed to be so passive and, you know, just accept whatever we get type of thing. Yeah. And I see how that shows up also in the bedroom, right? For a lot of women, mm-hmm. um, not being able to speak up, not being able to, to ask for what we want or negotiate. It shows up everywhere, everywhere. Yes. Um, so I think it's one of those skills um, in communication that I also highlight. Also apology, you know, so we're not always right. Right. And that one of the things <laughs> I had to teach myself how to apologize. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, my husband would say early on that I I just never apologized like it just wasn't a thing I did, and I had to be so intentional about, um, apologizing and not just that I'm sorry, but working through the steps of an apology, and I think that too we didn't get apology growing up. No one apologized. Oh,
1: don't don't Yeah, Yeah, it's seen as a weakness and going into relationships, learning like, Mm -hmm. apology, apologizing is not a weakness. Literally, it can (laughs) literally save your relationship. So growing out of that mindset that if I apologize, I'm weak. Absolutely not. It actually makes you stronger in your Mm -hmm. relationship with that.
0: Yeah, and even being able to communicate that, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I realized this is, this is what I did. And, you know, and I'm apologizing because, you know, like there's just uh-huh. so many steps to it. And I had to, I had to teach that to myself because, you know, our parents didn't teach that to us. So even model that and uh-huh. it's not a blaming thing. It's that they, they didn't know their own parents didn't do that. So it wasn't a concept that they thought they had to pass on or even focus on. Yeah. But also, I think one thing that also, as we talk about apologies that come
1: up, one thing I know for my po- the population that I work with is not only saying something, but engaging in the action as well. So we can mm-hmm. say, sorry, so we're blue in the ear, but what are you doing to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Yes. So that's a big one that comes up for me as well. So learning how mm-hmm. to say it, I'm like, yes, but... Did you just do the same behavior again? How is that apology <laughs> supposed to be accepted if you continue to do the same thing? So that's another one I know that I I
0: see often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other any other themes that I wonder that show up in your work? Before we wrap up. Mm.
1: So, like one thing is like you said, like I said, apology um, struggle with learning how it. Forgiveness is not required. That's a big one because coming in a lot of my clients think like I need to forgive this person. And like I said earlier, no, you don't. Forgiveness is not required when it comes to healing. And like you mentioned before, that's probably a childhood thing that's coming up into the therapy office that we may need to work on eliminating because that's, what's holding you back from healing that need to forgive. Um, Also, avoidant and anxious clients. I get that a lot. And a lot of, I'll say, anxious. But that stems from abandonment from a parent. Like they don't want to experience heartbreak again. Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to feel betrayed. So I need to do what I need to do to make sure that my partner, my friend, this job does not go anywhere. So I think majority of my clients have anxious attachment styles. So I'm kind of working with them on a lot of things I mentioned before as far as areas to heal. And it all varies between the client and their experience. But I do see a lot of anxious attachment because my parents weren't there for me or my parent wasn't there for me. Therefore, I have this person right now. So I need what I need to do to make sure they don't go nowhere. Even if that's sacrificing my own needs and desires. But clients fail to realize that that's only going to lead to resentment for a statement that I always hear often. I lost myself in this
0: relationship. Mm. Yeah. Let's, let's speak to that for a minute. How do you not lose yourself in a relationship?
1: Oh my gosh. Listen, I think me, I could speak for you and I, both of us. That, that was, that's the journey. <laughs> that was a journey. Mm. But checking in. Check ins are super important. Yeah. Making sure, and I do this with my clients as well. What are some of the things that you want in a relationship? What Then I have them break down that list into non negotiables. I tell all my clients, all the activities you do, I say keep them because they are resources. Going back to that list and seeing if those are being met. Because when we're in the paradise honeymoon stages, we're not thinking about that. We just know we're having a great time with this person. We're loving yeah. it. And life is great. Mm-hmm. So we're not really thinking on a rational level. Yeah. So and to uh, prevent that from happening, having these resources to go back to. Yes, I'm in the honeymoon stages, but let me let me check in real quick. Let me see if my non-negotiables are being met. Let me make sure I'm good. So check-ins are super, super, super important. I, I actually engage in that right now in my relationship. And I check in with my mm-hmm. husband as well. Mm-hmm. You make it are your needs being met? He does the same thing. So that's super yeah, important.
0: I, I swear by them. Um we do it mm-hmm. on uh Sunday evening. That's our night where we we do our check-ins. So we also go over the week. We have kids, so we, we have to do that <laughs> go mm-hmm. over the week. <laughs> and then we um, talk about the relationship. Like, you know, is there anything you, you might be needing more of this week or less of this week? You know, what can I do to, you know, to support you in any way, right? Because yeah. I know our partners, we, we all go through our cycles. We all go mm-hmm. through moments where we need less of or more of or (laughs) none of right? (laughs) you know so we're constantly having to to do that and especially when you have kids I think um, it is even more important because not only can you lose yourself in the relationship but you can just lose yourself in in parenting and all the things that come up with that so I I swear by it and um, you know and that's why I have everything on a schedule (laughs) You know, I know I get a lot of pushback for these things, but yeah, that's that's how I keep everything going. Oh that's my god, I'm I a I I'm not pushing
1: back at you. I love a good <laughs> schedule, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a planner yeah. down to the TV, so I am with your girl. <laughs>
0: yeah, but yeah, I think those check ins are so important, and I always ask about you know, um, relationship wellness check or temperature, yes. you know, checking the temperature, how are things, and You know, I find that some people just don't do that. Like, yeah.
1: yeah. I think it's surprised. Like, wait, what? Because we're always changing. We're always growing. We're learning new things. So how I am in my relationship now isn't the same person I was when I was in college. So those check-ins are super important to see if needs change. Mm -hmm. If there's something that your partner needs now. So I, I love a good listen, a good check-in is needed. Even if that's simply, randomly, hey, you good? And just also, when the time comes, if your partner says, no, I'm not good, or yeah. no, I need something, mm-hmm. to not retreat, to ju- not dismiss yeah. what that person said. Really sit and listen, not listen yeah. to be heard. And also don't play to the tit-for-tat game. That's a huge mm-hmm. one, too. Oh yeah. It's like, well, I need yeah. this too. It's like, um, no ma'am, <laughs> no, no, ma'am or no, sir. You would not think about that when you asked him or her that.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And it goes back to being able to sit in that discomfort. Yes, you might be feeling your fight or flight responses are telling you, Yeah, this is what I need to say right now. Mm-hmm. But holding back, holding that back and just being present. And that's hard. That's hard for a lot of people. Like if I'm thinking it, I have to say it exactly
1: Yeah. exactly and it's just like i tell my clients don't say anything just sit there and listen mm-hmm. listen to your partner or even metaphorically speaking listen to the nonverbals. yeah is there something oh, yeah. your partner's doing wrong i'm not wrong something your partner's mm-hmm. doing differently are you noticing something's off body language yeah yeah ask the question, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ask the question. Like what's going on? I know you kiss me every morning. Um, these past two mornings you didn't kiss me. Is everything okay? Or you, you look a little upset. Are you fine? Do you need to talk about something? How was work? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Yeah, that's another huge, yeah. another huge mm-hmm. one as well. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and I I think too, time and place. So yeah, I might notice something has been off. So yeah, let's make some time tonight to just talk about things. Mm-hmm. And this makes yeah. me time this weekend to to just check in, um, you know, because I think sometimes when we're activated, yeah, our parent, our partners can shut down and say nothing. It's all good. Exactly,
1: or that <laughs> you fight know. response, like, oh no, mm-hmm. because you did. It's like no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Let's sit back and listen. And, and I'm not. I'm thinking of something right now. Self regulation when you are mm-hmm. in that fight or flight. Or freeze moment, making sure you can engage in those coping skills. You've seen my favorite word. It's important. It's super, super important. So you can, one, be in the present moment, and two, get yourself together if you do feel yourself being aroused. Yeah. Yeah. Love
0: it. Yeah, you've definitely served some gems here today. Um, any final words for our listeners?
1: Um. Well, one one huge thing which I tell my clients as well is unresolved abandonment can be the route to self sabotage. So it's super important for individuals to do the work. Super super important. And like I mentioned earlier, acknowledging what you've been through, accepting that. The situation or the person is who they are. Self-discipline are and accountability are what I consider the four tools when it comes to healing. So making sure that engaging in those tools in order to be the best version of yourself and for your partner.
0: Yeah. Any book recommendations? Um, I know we we talked about a few different themes here. Um, I just wonder, are there any books? And I'm going to add those to the show notes as well. Um, Any books, workbooks, or any tools that you often suggest um, Mm -hmm. for clients who are working through attachment and abandonment wounds?
1: Okay, okay. I love, 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 Attached by Amir Levine. That's a great book. It actually has, which a lot of clients love, an assessment that allows you to assess your partner's attachment style as well as your attachment style. So I love that Mm -hmm. book. Um, also as far as, like I said, I'm super big on psychoeducation. So the body keeps score by Bustle Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. Really good with educating clients about trauma Mm -hmm. as well as things that they can do to heal from their past traumatic experiences. Mm -hmm. And also post-traumatic slave syndrome and i like that book i'm sorry her name the author's Georgia guy but i love 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 that book however it's super super heavy so i always tell clients or individuals to put it down when it becomes too intense but i love that book because it when it um it talks about slavery and how that was kind of an abandonment trauma for a lot of individuals mm-hmm. of color so i yeah. love that book um because of that and like I said before, this is super disclaimer. Put it down; it becomes too much because it can become a lot. But it's a great, great, great book.
0: Okay. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I'm going to include all of those. Um, to so tell our listeners, um, you know, just a little bit about your private practice and where they can find you online.
1: Of course, of course. So, I, like I mentioned, I am located in Maryland. Rejuvenated Minds Therapeutic Services. Um, as far as my online platforms, I'm on Facebook, Rejuvenated Minds Therapeutic Services, and on Instagram, Rejuvenated Minds Therapy, LLC. And my website is rejuvenatedmindstherapy.com. Thank you. You're absolutely
0: awesome. welcome. Well, thank you, Shanessa, for hanging out with me this morning um, just to give our listeners a little bit of, um, you know, just an idea of what what today looks like we're recording on labor day and it's a holiday <laughs> um i don't know about you but i'm still in my robe and i have my coffee <laughs> and my bonnet <laughs> Listen, but,
1: uh, <laughs> i have my scarf <laughs> on my head right now my comfy um slippers so we're on the same page right now
0: Yeah. So it's a holiday. So I just appreciate you taking the time off to just chat with us. And I do look at uh, the podcast as a form of outreach, right? Um, So not when I think Uh of therapy, I I also think of the people who don't have um, that privilege. There's persons who, who don't have it, you know, they don't have insurance or they just don't have the finances to, to seek it out, you know? And that's why I always ask about, um, just books and things that people can can use until they're in that place um, so I just thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and um, just being here with us to, to do this outreach <laughs> this outreach you're we
1: absolutely <laughs> welcome my pleasure, my pleasure, let me know if you need me to come
0: back <laughs> yes yes for sure, I'm so glad to connect with you and um, appreciate it, well thank you so much
1: it has been a pleasure, thank you for having me
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to support the podcast, please share it with others. Post about it on socials and leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can check out our new website at www.hasexualspace.com or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at HerSexual Space and HerSexual Space Podcast. Thanks again and I'll see you next time. Bye!